Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. So we're going to finish Romans chapter 5 today. So that's going to be chapter 5, verse 12 through uh, 21. So I'm just going to open by reading the entire thing, tell you ahead of time, it's a pretty decent section of scripture. Your mind might want to zone out, fight the inner ADHD and and read with me, and and then we'll see what's going on in here. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, which abounded in many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That is a glorious verse. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Another glorious verse. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So Garrett preached and did a great job uh, last week with the first half of Romans 5. It was fun as he said he would take that text and look. He's like, yes, I love that text. And, and you kind of tell uh, in that that he really loved that text, did a great job leading us through that. But that text focused on the personal benefits uh, for, for individuals of justification. What is the personal benefit of justification this week? In the back half of, half of Romans 5, what Paul's going to do is he's going to kind of switch to a wide-angle lens and zoom out a little bit, and he's going to look at salvation within the grand story of redemption, what's going on in his creation as a whole through Jesus. So again, the beginning of chapter 5, zoomed in, your individual benefits of justification, end of chapter 5, zoomed out, what is God doing in all of his creation as he's redeeming things to himself? We'll find in this text... a a universal relevance for all of humanity because inside of this text is a story that touches all of our stories personally. Uh, Inside of it is the the reason that you are the way that you are. Uh, Inside of this text even more is why the world is the way that it is. Inside this text is the answer to why does bad stuff happen in life and in the world. Inside this text is the answer to why we lose loved ones, why we've lost unborn children, why relationships 
break down, why divorce seems to be everywhere, why war and threats of war are always in the air, why theft and greed and anger and revenge and destruction and violence are just everywhere, why cancer ravages the bodies of people that we know and maybe people that we love, why lies are told, why injustice seems to be routine. Paul gives the why of all of this right at the beginning of the text. Before we tackle that why, though, we want to ask another question. Why does he cover it here, though? Why would Paul, remember in the text that Garrett covered last week, why would Paul move from rejoicing in the peace that we have with God, right? Rejoicing in hope and peace with God to looking at why is the world so broken? Like, what? Why it seems a little bit like a whiplash effect to ascend to the beauty of justification and then dive into the details why the world is so jacked up around us. But Paul does it for a really specific reason. He knows that he's writing to uh, realists and cynics and people who have some pushback, and they're going to hear these words about salvation unto life, about justification, about peace with God, about reconciliation through Jesus, about being declared justified through Christ's work on the cross, and they're going to ask a question. We've got a slide for it. This is the question that I think we all need to kind of just let sit a little bit. Paul, how can one man's sacrifice bring such benefits to so many people? How does that work? Right? One man in one action, how in the world does that do all of this? How can one man's act really do that? How can one man's act change my present condition and my eternal reality? Like, how can one man accomplish all of that that seems impossible in a world that's so broken and so busted up and we see all the things around us, one guy and one act, how is he going to fix all of that? It seems like a tough pill to swallow. And yet Paul sets out in this text to explain how that could be true for us. His method for this will be to show how so much got broken by one man before showing how much more will be reconciled and put back together by another man that the better Adam, Jesus. Verse 12 begins to foreshadow this. So much of the text is is kind of jammed into this verse. Verse 12, therefore, follow it because there's a couple things that happen. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. R.C. Sproul says of this text, this is one of the most important texts in the Bible because it talks about something that's happened to the entire human race, the fall through Adam, the fall into sin. This means that the original sin that Adam committed in the garden affected literally everyone, every man, every woman, every child born. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you think you believe or, or how you've grown up. His one action affected all of us. It set into motion a three-stage chain reaction process. It said it in the text. What was the three-peat or the three-part chain reaction? First, sin entered the world through that one man, Adam, part one. And then we learn in the Bible for the, the, the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin entered through the one man, Adam, and because sin opened the door, then death entered the world because of that sin. And death spread to all human beings because all of sin through that. This is the order, the entrance of sin. Coming right behind it is the entrance of death. And coming right behind that is the universal spread of sin to all man. One man through one action caused all of this. This single moment in history long, long ago 
through a single man and a single choice has affected all of us because his action opened the door for sin and death. Notice it's sin and death that are the source for literally every single conflict, every tear, every pain that you and I will ever have. Sin and death open the door for that. Because of sin, people get alienated from God. Uh, Peace and access to God were lost because of sin. Future glory was lost because of sin and death. We shed tears of future glory of family members lost and people that we love lost. Why? Because death comes because of sin. Trials exist because of sin and death. Reconciliation needs to happen because of sin that puts us at odds with a holy God. This text shows us the thread that ties all of our tears together in human history. Each grief, each pain, each death we mourn, each feeling that things are broken, things are off, each of them come through this. Each sin that we commit all trace their way back to Adam. Though, notice, though, it's not just that Adam's action introduced us to pain. Adam's sin literally made us sinners. His sin was our sin, which probably raises two thoughts, right? One, how do you know that? And two, uh, how in the world is that fair, right? Does, does that land with you? Like that dude did it and he chose it and I didn't. How's that fair? That's the natural mindset in it. Well, verse 12 says, because Adam sinned, death spread to all men because all sinned. In the original language, because all sinned, the word sinned in the original language is, is a very specific type of verb tense, which means a past single event. So Paul wasn't just saying, well, because Adam sinned long ago, you later are going to sin. No, he's saying because Adam sinned, that single past action made all men sinners. His action was tied to us, to all humanity. In other words, when Adam sinned, you sinned. And when Adam sinned, so did I. Again, this bothers our sense of sensibilities. And it bothered the Jews back then as well. Follow me for a minute because I want to make sure we don't get lost. We've talked about in Romans, we want to be in this book specifically because we want a, 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 a balanced biblical worldview where we can understand how to deal with things by processing with an open Bible. This text kind of helps us with a little bit of that, but we're going to have to think a little bit. The Jews back then believed this. Sin and death were only tied to breaking the Mosaic law, right? The Ten Commandments and the laws and the, and the Mosaic law. So you were only a sinner and you would only die if you broke that Mosaic law, meaning that each person was only a sinner if they broke that law themselves. And then again, because the penalty of sin is death, then they would later die. You're only guilty if you break the Mosaic law, and then you'd only die if you sin because you broke the Mosaic law. But Paul points out here, well, this cannot be because sin and death reign before the law. So follow the timeline of the Bible. Adam and Eve, right? They're at the beginning, right? If we're going to do this, this side, I'll do flipped. Adam and Eve at the beginning. And then you have time frame, many, many years, Mosaic law. Then you have this large swath of time in between. In that swath of time existed Cain and Abel. They lived before, or they lived after Adam and before the Mosaic law was given, and yet they are dead. Remember, you, you have to break the Mosaic law to sin, and because you sin, you end up dying. Well, if the Mosaic didn't, law didn't exist when they were born, then how did they sin to break the law and end up dying? It doesn't work. Noah and all the people back then, same thing. None of them are alive today, and yet the Mosaic law didn't exist. They were still under sin, but they didn't disobey the law because it wasn't there yet, and they still died. 
The point is the law wasn't created just to be an instrument of condemnation and death. Follow me. The law was created to show us that something was wrong already inside of us. The law was created to show us that something had happened that made us guilty before a holy God. Something that was wrong or that specific something that was wrong started with Adam when he sinned. His sin was our sin and his sin created in us and all of the descendants a sin nature inside of us. At this point, it might be good to wrap our heads around two different terms or ideas, original sin and actual sin. And again, we're not trying to, to, to nerd out to be smarter, but these are really important. If we get in trouble when we mesh these things together, they're, they're actually separate. Actual sin occurs when we do something that transgresses the laws of God, right? When we specifically transgress the law of God. So a baby in a crib, though that child bears the weight of original sin in a broken world, that baby does not bear the weight of the guilt of actual sin in their life. Why? Because sin requires a conscious choice, an awareness of right and wrong, an actual violation of what is right and wrong that you already understand. The baby can be in original sin but not be in actual sin because they can't process the law to break it. Many believe it's only when a person performs an actual sin that they're under sin. But if the wages of sin is death, if sin literally leads to death, then how is it that that we here have lost children, right? How, how is it possible to have miscarriages, to lose people? If it's only sin that brings death, how, how is it possible that we've seen children and uh, that, that we've seen them be lost? How could that happen? Well, they do not have the cognitive ability to disobey yet, and yet death has taken children. How can that be? How can death reign over them if they haven't actually sinned? And all of that points back to this idea of original sin. What Adam did did something to us. His sin touches our lives, whether we like it or not. His, his sin stands over all of humanity. There's a difference between actual sin and original sin. Now, we need to take a, a minute here because you can't just drop something like that and talk about losing uh, children and, and, not, and not do something with it. Right? We have uh, many people, and it's hard to talk about, but many of us have had this where, where we've lost children in the womb, and the idea can be kind of crippling when you hear about original sin because then the mind wonders, well, is that child that I lost under wrath? What's happening? And then it can add like pain to what is already suffering and, and pain, and here's what we see. There's a consistent testimony all over Scripture that people are judged based on the sins that they voluntarily and consciously commit against a body. In other words, eternal judgment is always based on conscious rejection of divine revelation in humanity. An unborn infant can't do this. Uh, they, they cannot consciously disobey, whether it's a baby in the womb or a very young infant. They cannot perform what, 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 what kicks in judgment. Sam Storm says it this way, there's no explicit account in scripture for any other judgment based on any other grounds. Thus, those dying in infancy are saved because they do not and cannot satisfy the conditions of divine judgment. Let's look back at what we learned at Romans 1, 20. We learned that there is general revelation in the world. 
this idea that God shows himself to all of humanity, even if they, even if they don't have the Mosaic law or the New Testament or the Old Testament, that God makes himself known by what he writes on his heart and even creation. And it says that, that humanity is without excuse if they, do, this, if they disobey and they're accountable to it because God has revealed himself even in creation. But here's this, the unborn infant cannot process general revelation and they cannot process the laws of God, meaning they do have an excuse. And we believe that God will spare them, not on the basis of that child being perfect, on the basis that God is loving and kind and a good father. Like, I hope that our minds can understand, we're talking about heavy concepts like original sin. He's not looking to crush everyone. He sent his own son to prove that. So those who've lost unborn children or young, young, young children, I mean, I'll just tell you, like, I know what it feels like. That's suffocating. Here's the, here's the part that, that, that I want to, because we can't just kind of skip that in this type of message. Though death has reigned and took children. Here's the, man, I knew that would happen. <laughs> here's the part. Does this take away the grief? And I don't pretend that it does. But one day in heaven, you're going to have a beautiful surprise. Right? I wonder if that was a girl or a boy. Hey, you'll find out. One day there's going to be a child that hasn't tasted pain, no anguish, hasn't dealt with what we have. And they'll be there in the loving arms of God waiting for you. It doesn't take away the grief. But I think there's a beauty there. Here's another flip side of that, though. Though we believe in scriptural evidence points to Jesus saving little ones in the womb and very young infants, please, please, please do not get caught up in playing games with the age of accountability stuff. Like playing these little, well, maybe, and they're not old enough. Teach your kids while they're drooling about Jesus. Pray for them in the first week of their life. Pray for them before they understand your words. Do not presume on the kindness of God. Well, I think that they're okay and not smart enough to deal with that. Do not play that game. Teach your kids about Jesus. Show them Jesus long before they can process any of it. Please, please, please be careful. Because I think that there are ways that we need to understand God's loving kindness, but I do think there are times where parents justify not showing their kids Christ through this idea of an age of of accountability. But here's the deal. By the time you decide that your kid's old enough to process who Jesus is, he's probably already made the decision of what he thinks. Don't wait. Now let's circle all the way back. And I, I know we had to detour there, but there's no way that you can deal with that without kind of digging into it. We've shown that Adam's sin affects us all. Now the next natural thought from all of us is, yeah, I don't like that. I, 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 re, I reject it. I don't like it. The Western individualistic mindset struggles with believing that Adam affected us. See, we think, well, I didn't choose that dude. 
I didn't vote him in. I didn't give him some soul-based power of attorney. Like, I don't know who he thinks he is, but I gave him no rights over my life. Our Western view likes to think of ourselves like a, an island unto ourselves. We rise and we fall and we succeed and we fail by my actions and my merit and my decisions and my abilities. So this notion that another man that we didn't choose, that we, we didn't even see in his actions long, long ago is one that affects us. We hate that in our Western mind. It offends what should be to us. The Adam acts as what theologians call humanity's federal head or covenant head. And that's really a fancy theological way of saying our representative. Because he represented all mankind in the garden. His actions then color all of mankind from there on. This still probably leaves us thinking, yeah, okay, great, but I just still didn't choose that man. So why do I have to get judged for the actions that he did? Why and how is that fair? And the first thing I'd say is though you didn't choose him, the God of covenants did. And and so just because we didn't make the decision doesn't mean that it doesn't stand. I know that even, you're like, well, that doesn't help. I know. I've got to wrestle with that same tension. But that is part of what faith and submission look like is God does dictate terms. So first he decided, but second... Though our modern sense of sensibility will feel really offended by this because we feel robbed of, well, I, I, I was robbed of the ability to choose. Let me ask you this, though. Okay. If the decision was yours to pick the federal head, n- name your choice. Lay it out there. Pick whoever you want. Where's your choice going to land you? Any, any different spot? Who should I pick? Who should I pick? Mother Teresa, so nice. Surely, no, sinner. Gandhi, that's not going to work for you. Muhammad, no. Denied the person of Jesus. No, that's also not going to work. I think, okay, who else? My grandma, she was really great. No, that ain't going to work. Your closest friend. Some pastor when you you were younger, not me. Uh, Those aren't going to work. The idea, see, we, need to, we get bothered, but we don't actually ask the question, you think you could have done better? See, even feeling frustrated over not getting to pick, hear this, that, that sign that we are frustrated that we don't get to make the pick shows a heart that still thinks at the core what Adam did, I could have done better than God. Same sin he committed. Well, maybe you just think, well, fine, okay, like, I don't want to be able to pick some other guy. Like, I just want to be able to represent myself. Let's walk that one out. I remember as a younger man thinking about the story of Adam and Eve. And, and maybe I'm weird. Maybe you've thought this too. I don't know. But I begin to think of the story. And thinking, what if? What if he would have obeyed, like, perfectly? What if the fall didn't happen back then and, and humanity was perfect and there's no sin and no death and no war, just joy and peace with God and, and like an expanded garden and, and beauty and everything's just wonderful. We, we don't know what tears are. Like, it's just great. What if all of history, it had been great. And then in 1983, this large four-headed baby was born in Texas son of Terry of a long line of dryers named TJ. What if all those years history had done it great and then it got to me? 
all I could think of is, oh, crap, then I'd be Adam. (laughs) The line of perfection would definitely stop with me. If you think it wouldn't with you, you're wrong. Here's the point. Though we didn't choose the representative, we've ratified the choice time after time after time after time with our own actions. Every sin we commit. Yeah, you didn't choose. Your life and mine shows that the choice wasn't bad, though. See, we're all sons of Adam by birth, marred and broken in sin. And with that sin, death and countless sufferings has come. But here's the triumphant news of the gospel to us all. There's now a new Adam who's come. One who's not like the first Adam. One who's not like you. One who's not like me. And this new Adam who is Jesus can be our new representative, our new federal head. And he can bring life where death used to reign. He can bring holiness where sin resided. Let's look at the tail half. I won't won't read the whole thing again. Um, Let's look at 18 through 21 one more time, just real quick. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Amen. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember the question, Paul, how can one man's sacrifice bring such incredible benefits to so many people? Well, he begins to, what we see in 15 through 21 is is a a compare and contrast. Well, it's just actually all contrast of, of Adam versus Jesus. Where the first Adam brought deeds of trespass to humanity, Jesus brings beautiful deeds of righteousness and gift to humanity. Where the first Adam did what he thought was best for him, not trusting God, Christ sacrificed what was best for him to trust God and bring about salvation. Where Adam's life was marked by breaking the laws of God, Jesus' life was marked by perfectly fulfilling the law in obedience. These two representatives couldn't be more different. Then look at the results of the two representatives' life and the results for those who follow him. Adam's deeds resulted in death, Christ's deeds result in life. Adam's deeds result in condemnation. And Jesus' deeds result in justification. Adam's deeds lead to guilt under the law and separation from a holy God. Jesus' deeds lead to undoing of legal guilt. Why? Because he paid for all of it and now there is a way. With Adam's deeds, death reigns and we are in bondage to our sin. With Jesus, new life reigns and we are free from the bondage of our former sin. With Adam, we toil and we strive and we're crushed by labor because we're trying to uh, form out and work out our identity out in the world because we're separated from God. With Jesus, we're set free from labor to form our identity and we get to be sons and daughters of the Most High, no longer needing the world to tell us who we are. 
With Adam, we are enslaved to evil. With Jesus, we're delivered from it. With Adam, we can't help but sin and do evil. Often with Jesus, we have the spirit to help lead us to live like Jesus, to make us new and to give us the ability to walk in eternal life here and now. The contrast is breathtaking. Paul is straining as hard as he can to show us how great Jesus is. And that's why you'll see in the text, he says, how much more, how much more, a couple different times in relation to how much greater is the work of Jesus than the the former work of Adam, where Adam brings us what we probably deserve. And Jesus brings us grace upon grace upon grace. He brings us what we didn't deserve, what we couldn't earn, what we would never be able to buy. Praise God, the second Adam is nothing like the first. He undoes each and everything that Adam did, each and everything that sin and death broke. For those who trust in him, believe him, follow him, and submit to him. When asking the question, how can one man's sacrifice bring such incredible benefits to so many, the answer is because Jesus stands as the new representative. Where one man broke so much, a new man stands to fix it. He stands as the new federal head, the one whose actions stand in our place. This is why the righteousness of Jesus can be credited to sinners, because it's the idea of federal head. This is why justification being declared righteous can happen, because a new person stands in front of us to represent us to God. Here's the reality. We re- re- recoil at the idea of headship in reference to Adam. We have no problem with salvation, though. I didn't choose that. Just because you didn't choose it doesn't mean it's not good. See, the heart should stand in awe and gratitude and worship. That now a better Adam can stand in our place, a better Adam who is Jesus. If federal headship or covenant headship uh, wasn't possible, church, then that means that you and I would have to stand before God on our own. Our merits, our life, our deeds, our actions, our thoughts, what what we've talked about even earlier in Rome, even every single careless word that we've ever given, you're on your own before a holy God. There's no one here who could feel good about that. See, the beauty of the gospel is knowing that we could never have peace with God if we stand before him on the basis of our own resume and our own goodness and our own righteousness, but we don't have to stand before God that way any longer. We can identify with a new king, King Jesus. See, the old man in us can be put to death as we follow the new man, Christ. And through that death of the old man can come brand new life in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul says, by one man, Adam, we were all made sinners. Like, ah. But by one man, Jesus, we can become righteous. The message of the Bible can really be explained also like this. There are two paths for all of humanity. You can follow the ways of Adam, the first representative, or trust and follow Jesus, the new man, the new representative. All must choose. There are many in the world like, I don't have to choose. I, I, I do what I, yes, you do. Well, I don't want, I, I'm, I'm not religious. Doesn't matter. All of humanity is in the line of Adam or the line of the new better Adam, Christ. 
praise God, where sin and death once reigns, Jesus now can. And eternal life, new hearts, eternal hope are made available. Church, wrap your mind around this. In your place, Jesus stood condemned for you. Right? What Adam did brought sin to you. It brought original sin, but then you've ratified it a million times over. You stood condemned and Jesus stood in your place so that you may find life in him. He has not come just to make you moral, just to make you decent, just to make you religious. He's come to make you brand new, to give you a new line and a new way so that you could follow him to break down your sin and offer you his hand to walk with you. We forget the beauty of Matthew 28. He doesn't just say like, hey, I'll fix some of that old damage. He says, I will fix that. I will make you new and I will never leave you or forsake you and I'll send my spirit to keep speaking to you and lead you. Will there be suffering and struggle here? Yeah, we're, we're kind of in the in-between. But he promises to be with you through it and one day he will end it. Everything Adam destroyed, Jesus will fix completely and put it back even better than it was. The hope is that your heart will be full when you hear this this morning, if you're in Christ. That you see the mind-blowing beauty of Jesus' life, his love, and his work for you. And if you're a follower of Christ, just understand, even at the times you don't feel it, he's working on you. He's leading you. He will never stop. Rejoice in seeing what Christ has done in you and then step back and realize and rejoice what he's doing in creation. We're going, man, the world's messed up. and our th-. He's still working. The better Adam is still at hand. He's still working. He's still saving. He is still there. He's come to put back together everything that was lost long ago, one soul at a time as former sons of Adam become sons of God. And the heart is that you would just be encouraged in this. He has done the work. If you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus to be your savior, we've talked about this quite a few times in this series. The hope is that that would change. Christ has come for you, right? Tell God that you need him. I, I am a sinner and I, and, and I need a savior. I, I, I pray that you would do that. And if you have questions about that, I'd be happy to pray with you, but you do not have to stand under the guilt and shame that you have walked in anymore. You do not have to stand under the line of Adam anymore. Jesus can stand in your place, represent you, make you new, and you can receive life in him. You're like, man, I don't understand how it works. I haven't fixed all that. You don't have to. The beauty is he's done the work. You just ask God, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Will you give me that salvation? There's a beautiful hope in a new and better Adam. And I pray that all of us would walk in that. We're going to take communion today. Garrett, you can come up. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, any time during worship, you are free to take. You don't have to be a member to take. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. But here's the beauty of what you're remembering. Jesus has come to to save you from yourself and the first Adam and to make a way. His body was broken, his blood was shed to do that. He has come to do all of it. 
uh, sacrifices there for you today. Whether you feel busted up or tired or not close, you're going, I don't know if he's working in me and I don't, I don't know if that old man's put to death. I, come and take and see that there's a sacrifice for you. He has done the work, even if when the times when you just don't feel him working, he's done it all. So the hope is that as you take the bread and you take the, the cup, you're remembering there's a sacrifice and a beauty that has been done there. God has made a way for you. I pray that your heart would be encouraged.